May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Good morning. Welcome to Parkway Fellowship. I'm so glad that you're here today as we wrap up our message series, Backfired. I also want to welcome our North Campus, joining us by video feed today. Um, you know, back in my youth pastor days, uh, I one, time, one time I took a group of college kids to New Mexico for a conference. Well, while I was there, uh, a group of us, we decided, you know, we'd go out for like a two-hour hike one afternoon. Well, on the way back... We decided that we'd take a shortcut, and we got lost. I mean, like, really lost. We hiked for hours, and there was no sign of civilization anywhere. As it was getting dark, we decided that we're going to have to camp out in the wilderness, which is what we did. Well, The people back at the retreat center, they hit the panic button. They called out New Mexico search and rescue for us. No lie. And so during the night, we could see like signal fires on several mountain ranges, uh, you know, near us and men on horseback searching for us. But, you know, they were all like going away from us. And so in the morning, there were search planes up above, circling. Now, they couldn't see us because, like, the brush was so thick. Um, Now, during that night, we could see, off to our right, we could see the lights of Santa Fe. But it was way too far to attempt to go that way. But off to our left, we could see the lights of a little community. And it was only a couple miles away. And so, you know, we thought, in our pride, we thought, ah, we got this. Well, the next morning we get up and we start, you know, making our way towards this little community. Well, it's not just a couple miles away. It's much, much farther. After six hours of hiking, we finally get to the outskirts of this little community. This little community ended up being more than 12 miles away from where we were. But I promise you, from where we were looking, like, it looked really close. I swear. And I, I tell you that story to say this. When it comes to God, sometimes we think that we are much closer than we really are. Sometimes we just think we're closer than we're, we, we really are. And in our pride, we think, oh, I got this. Like, this life, like, I got this. And sometimes our pride makes us think that we're closer to God because our pride disorients us spiritually. It causes us to misread where we really are. It gives us that false reading. Because I'm telling you, pride makes it hard to judge the distance between us and God. You know, for most of us, Pride does not come in the form of, you know, arrogance or conceit. Because the truth is, we can see that coming miles away. But here's how I do see it in people's lives. I see it when, you know, people say things like, you know, my life's going pretty well. You know, I've got a good job, nice, nice car, nice house, take a nice vacation, kids are doing pretty good. My spouse is doing pretty good. My life's doing pretty good. All in all, 
I don't really need God for anything. I've got this. And I promise you, as soon as we say, I've got this, that's pride. And it's very hard to be desperate for God when we're not desperate. And so pride makes the distance between us and God very hard to see. I also see it like this. People say, you know, I come to church regularly. Uh, I volunteer in my kid's classroom at church. I give money to the church. And so when I need something and I'm in a crisis, I expect God is going to come through for me because I've done all this stuff for him. Now, truth is, nobody ever says it like that. But if you would peel back all of the Christian fluff, I promise you, that's what people believe. Because when God doesn't come through, they get mad. We get mad at God because he didn't do what we wanted him to do the way we wanted him to do it. He didn't keep up his end of the bargain. And so we get mad and we just walk away from church or we walk away from God or we say, you know what? I don't believe in God anymore because he didn't do what I thought he should do because he didn't keep up his end of the deal. And that's pride. And pride makes it very hard to judge the distance between us and God. I also see it like this. When someone um, is going through the natural consequences of bad decisions that they've made in life, very publicly we'll say things like, gosh, I'm so sorry that's happening for you. I'm so sorry you're having to go through that. No, I'll pray for you. And if there's anything I can do, you just let me know and I'll help you. But privately, we think, they're getting what they deserve. I mean, this is just the consequence of their own choices. And when we look down our nose at someone, we view them in a very low position because we view ourselves in a very high position and that's bride. But it's hard to see that that's what it is. And when we have pride, I'm telling you, it makes it hard to see the distance between us and God. Which is why I'm so glad this morning that we're talking about the crown of thorns and the sign that was on the cross. Because it is in these two elements of the crucifixion story that we see um, direction from God of how we can keep pride at bay. God gives us some very clear directives about how we can keep pride away and close the gap in our, our relationship with God. But I promise you, um, the devil would like just the opposite. He wants, us there, he wants there to be distance between us and God. But our Heavenly Father wants to have a relationship with us. So at the same time, both God and the devil are at work, which goes back to our, the point of this series, is, and that is this, and this is your first fill-in of the morning, by the way, is that God has a plan for me, and the devil has a plan for me, which is to be is up to me. 
God has a plan for me and the devil has a plan for me. Which is to be is up to me. Because God caused the devil's plans to backfire by using the crown of thorns and by using the sign above the cross. And so this morning, let's look at what the devil's plan was with the crown of thorns and the sign, how God caused it to backfire, and then what that means for us, okay? So, when it comes to the crown of thorns and the sign, what was the devil's plan? The plan was this, to mock Jesus as a false king. It was to mock Jesus as a false king. Look what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 27. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. When they knelt before, uh, then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. You see, the devil made sure that Jesus was mocked as a false king by using a crown of thorns instead of a crown of gold. And so when they stuck it on his head, it was to mock him as a false king. And you know, I mean, anytime you have a scratch or um, on your forehead or on your scalp, like it really hurts. And it just bleeds and bleeds and bleeds and bleeds and bleeds. And so the point of using a crown of thorns was to put someone who claimed to be king through something that no true king would have ever allowed to happen. Only someone who would be a false king. That was the plan. Now, let's talk about the sign for just a second. The sign that was above the cross. Look what the Bible says in John chapter 19, beginning in verse 19. Pilate had, had, uh, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, okay? Now, let me stop here for just a second. See, when someone was crucified, they would put a sign on the top of the cross that would designate their crime. And so, those types of signs would be like murderer or rapist. And so, in Jesus, um, during the Jesus crucifixion, we would expect the sign to read, you know, traitor or insurrectionist, but it doesn't. It reads, King of the Jews, as if that were a crime. Let's continue, verse 20. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Now, it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek because they wanted to make sure that everybody could read it, because the locals could read Aramaic, the Romans could read Latin, and every foreigner could read Greek. So literally, every single person could read this sign. Verse 21. The chief priests and the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Look. Satan 
made it so that there would be an open mockery of Jesus as a false king. And that is the epic example of pride. You know, to make Jesus look like a foolish, false king with a crown of thorns as a, you know, to, 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 to don his head, and then making his title a crime, that is the quintessential example of pride. Look, the devil, he literally invented pride. It is his favorite sin, and if he can get you and he can get me to, uh, to have any kind of pride at all, then I'm telling you, he has won a massive victory in, in our lives and makes us more like him. But with pride, it always backfires. And I want you to see how God used the crown and the sign to cause the devil's plan to backfire. And here's how he did it. That people all over the world view Jesus as the king of all kings. He's viewed as the king of all kings. You see, I really believe that God allowed the crown to be made out of thorns because this is how Jesus won his kingship. Now, think about this. Jesus had every right to be king because he was God's son. But Jesus became king because he laid down his life for his followers. And that's something that no earthly person could ever do because any person that wants to be king, if he lays down his life for his followers, then he can't be king because he's dead. But not so with Jesus. Because he rose from the dead. And because he was willing to lay down his life for his followers, that's why many of his followers call him the king of all kings. Because he did what no one else could ever do. And so that crown, which was a symbol of mockery, really is a symbol of victory. And when it comes to the sign, I honestly believe that God is the one that allowed Pilate to write king of the Jews, and not just he, that he claimed to be king of the Jews. I think Pilate, God wanted Pilate to write king of the Jews because God wanted the truth on the sign. Because Jesus isn't just the king of the Jews. He's the king of everyone, everywhere. Because in every nation, in every city, every culture, every race, there is someone who calls Jesus Christ their king. In fact, more than two billion people alive right now on our planet claim Christ as their king. That doesn't count any of the people who've already died. Right, and I, and I say all that because... There, because of the enormous population of people that now have bought into this truth that Jesus is the one true king. And even more than that, there is going to come a day when every single person will call Christ king. Now, that does not mean that everybody is going to become a Christ follower and go to heaven. But what it does mean is that one day, even those who don't believe will claim Christ as the one true king. Look what the Bible says. 
in uh, Philippians chapter 2, second half of verse 8. He, that's Jesus, obeyed God and even died on a cross. Then God gave Christ the highest place and honored his name above all names, so that the name of Jesus, everyone will bow, those in heaven, that's a reference to those who have already died and gone to heaven, on earth, that's a reference to people that are alive now, and under the earth, that's a reference to those who have died and are in hell, including the devil and all of his demons. And here's what they will do, and I want you to underline all of verse 11. To the glory of God the Father, everyone will openly agree, Jesus Christ is Lord. Man, what an image. How amazing is that? Now, I say all of that to get to this point. God does not want there to be any distance between you and him. God sent his son Jesus to die so that your sins could be forgiven and you would have a relationship with him. But the devil would do anything to prevent that from happening. And so he plants little seeds of pride in our lives to make us think, oh, you know, I got this. Or, you know, God owes me. Or they get what they deserve. All of those things are the seeds of pride. And sometimes we don't even recognize them as seeds of pride. And so that pride grows. And as pride grows, it becomes so hard to recognize the amount of distance between us and God. Because remember, the theme of this series, that God has a plan for me, and the devil has a plan for me. Which is to be, is up to me. And that's true. Which is to be, is up to me. So, what does God want me to do to follow his plan, and make sure that the devil's plan backfires. Two things. Here's the first. Develop a fear of God to eliminate pride. Develop a fear of God to eliminate pride. Because pride is what precedes any person's downfall. But if pride is so hard to detect, how do I avoid it? Develop a fear of God. Look what the Bible says, Proverbs 3, 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Okay, that's pride. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Remember, the devil wants you to focus on you. He wants you to embrace pride, even in the most subtle forms. But God can cause those plans to backfire if we will follow his plan and develop a fear of God. Now, what does that mean? I mean, does that mean that I cower in the corner, you know, being scared that God's going to strike me down if I step out of line or do something wrong? No, I not mean that because remember, God wants to have that relationship with you. So what does it mean? All right. Think about it like this. Let's just say I'm playing one-on-one basketball with LeBron James. I know, it's more like, like you know, one-on-half. Like, I get that. But just go with it for a second, okay? If I'm, let's, let's say I'm playing one-on-one basketball with LeBron James, okay? If he's driving to the hoop to shoot, like, dude, I'm getting out of the way. I mean, have you seen how big that guy is? I mean, he is huge. And so if LeBron James is driving to the hoop, I am not going to stand there and just take the charge because I have a very real fear that I'm going to get hurt. But I'll bet LeBron James' son doesn't feel that way. 
I'll bet when LeBron James' son is playing a little one-on-half with his dad out in the driveway, I'll bet he's never scared of his dad. Now, he knows everything his dad is capable of. And so, you know, he doesn't like, you know, brace up and challenge his dad. He has a very healthy, loving fear of his dad. And that's what this verse is saying about you in your relationship with God. That you know what God is capable of. And so you don't brace up and challenge God. You have a very loving, healthy fear of God because you have a relationship with God. That's what it's saying. So let me ask you. Do you have a healthy fear of God? Do you live your life day by day with that healthy fear? Do you ever pray for a healthy fear from God, about God? Do you live and keep in the forefront of your mind the power and the majesty of God, that he is the all-knowing creator of everything, can do anything, and is the forgiver of all things? Do you keep that in the forefront of your mind? That he is so great that the creatures in heaven are so enthralled with his presence that they worship him 24-7, 365. And just when they think that their worship is winding down and it's time to move on to something else, they go, no, he's so amazing, let's just keep on doing it. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God who sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. Because he wants to have a relationship with you. So you have to develop that healthy fear of God because it's that healthy fear that keeps pride at bay. bay. Because you think all these great things about God and you keep him in his proper perspective, it's awfully hard to become arrogant about yourself. So, second thing we need to do is this. Number two. If I accept him as my king, I yield to his reign. If I accept him as my king, I yield to his reign. Look what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. And how can we be sure that we belong to him? By looking within ourselves. Are we really trying to do what he wants us to do? Someone may say, I am a Christian. I am on my way to heaven. I belong to Christ. But if he doesn't do what Christ tells him to do, He is a liar. But those who do what Christ tells them to do will learn to love God more and more. That is the way to know whether or not you're a Christian. Anyone who says he's a Christian should live as Christ did. Okay, now hold on. Don't get this messed up, okay? These verses are not saying that if you obey Christ, that that is what saves you. Obeying Christ shows that you are already saved. That's what it means. So essentially, if you hang this sign over your life to say, I am a Christ follower, Jesus is my king, then you have to yield to his reign and put him in charge of your life. And if you say, merely claim, Jesus is my king, I am a Christ follower, but you do not yield your life to his reign, the Bible would say 
that Jesus was never your king to begin with. You just claimed the title. And so if you're going to make Jesus your king, part of that is you have to yield to his reign to put him in charge of your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. So let me ask you, what part of your life do you need to yield to the reign of Christ? Your temper? Your spending? Your parenting? The amount of time that you read the Bible? Or the amount of time that you don't read the Bible? Your church attendance? How much you volunteer at church? How you respond to someone that irritates you? How you respond to someone that disappoints you? How you talk to your husband or wife? How you conduct yourself at the office? How you act with your boyfriend or girlfriend? The stuff you watch? The stuff you listen to? The amount of time that you spend on electronics? What you read? Your eating habits? Your exercise habits? Your language? The websites you visit? What you post on social media? Look, when you accept Jesus Christ as your king, you yield to his reign. So what in your life is it that you are trying so desperately to hold on to so that you can continue to call the shots? Yield that part of your life over to Christ. Let him call the shots. Would you make a decision right now that whatever that is, to yield that part of your life over to his reign to his kingship? Okay, let me wrap up the series by saying this. You know, Jesus' death on the cross caused all of Satan's plans to backfire. And he did it through the resurrection, through the 30 pieces of silver, through the crown, through the sign. And God didn't cause all those plans to backfire just so that God could show off. He caused those things to backfire because God loves you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. And you start that relationship by taking that first step to become a Christ follower. And then once you take that step, you develop that relationship for the rest of your life here on this earth until you step out of this life and into his presence. That is why Jesus died for you. And why God went to all the extravagant effort to cause all of the enemy's plans to backfire for you. Because he loves you. And now he's waiting for you to respond back to him. So find your connection card and let's all take some next steps together. Perhaps it's this first next step. To keep pride at bay, I will view God with a healthy fear and not be fearful of God. Would that be a next step that you'd be willing to take today? Next, I will pray the prayer to become a Christ follower today for the first time in my life. There's a sample prayer for how to become a Christ follower. It's right below these next steps. If you've never prayed that prayer in your entire life, would you pray that today? I'm going to give you a chance to do it here in just a few moments. Maybe you've been thinking about it for weeks, maybe even longer. But if you're willing to pray it today, 
I'm going to give you a chance to do that here in just a few moments. Step number three. Today, I yield a specific part of my life over to the reign of Christ. Do you know what that is? You probably already know what you need to yield over to his reign. Would you make a commitment to do that? Would you check this box and make a commitment to yield that part of your life to him? Next, I commit to develop my relationship with God daily. Because remember, Jesus died not so that you could just merely obey but that, so you could have a relationship with him. Would you develop that relationship with him by reading your Bible and praying? Would you make a commitment to do that on a regular daily basis? Next, I'll memorize Proverbs 3, 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Right now, I want to give you a chance to pray silently and ask God to change your life with these next steps. And if you're ready to pray that prayer to become a Christ follower, this is your chance to do that. So right now, everybody bow your head, close your eyes, and take these next moments and pray and ask God to change you through the next steps that you've decided to take. Father, I want to say thank you for your goodness and your graciousness to us. Thank you that you cause every, every plan of the devil to backfire. And you use those very things to draw us into a relationship with you. And so I ask that you would help all of us. God, to keep pride at bay because of a healthy fear we have of you. Because of that relationship we have of you, with you the all-powerful, all-knowing God who is worshipped 24-7, 365. And I ask that for those in this room that chose to become a Christ for today for the first time, that you'd help them grow in that relationship. And those that have taken that step at some point in the past, help us deepen that relationship with you. And bring us back safely next week so that we can hear more. And I ask you to do this all in the wonderful, amazing, magnificent name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.